Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sleep researcher and child psychologist Sarah Blunden says sleep is one of the most challenging issues parents face, whether it's unsettled babies, toddlers changing sleep patterns, and then there are the teenage years and young lives dominated by screen use. Dr Blunden is the founder of the Australian Centre for Education and Sleep. She also directs the Paediatric Sleep Clinic based in Adelaide. She's with us now. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Catherine, and how are you? I hope you had a good sleep. I did have a pretty good sleep last night. I'm just thinking it's just after 7am. Is this a bit early to be starting work for a good sleep pattern? (laughs) It's funny you say that, but I was thinking to myself, I had to get very early to do this interview, and, and that's probably not so great for sleep patterns. But you know, we can we can handle a couple of early nights or a couple of late nights, uh, sorry, early mornings or late nights. Um, but when it's a regular thing, that's not so great. It's patterns and habits that matter. Mine was a bit tossy turning last night with the heat, but I don't mind as long as I can get back to sleep. What does mm. a normal night's sleep, a, you know, a, a brilliant night's sleep, look like? The, the components of a really good sleep include the correct sleep duration of, for, per person, and that's very, very individual. For adults, that ranges between seven and nine hours a night. So that's already two hours difference between person one and person two. In children, particularly younger children, that can range from, for example, a toddler between nine and 14 hours in a 24-hour period as to how much sleep we think they should need. That's because of the great individual needs. So it's really hard to know how much sleep you actually need. But I think we all have a bit of an idea as adults how much we would like. So there's the quantity. There's the quality. So that means, as you were mentioning about the heat, uh, not waking up so much overnight, kind of not having a restless night is really important. Um, Also, one of the most important things, as you mentioned, is that we need to keep a regular sleep-wake schedule. So if we have a very late night morning, uh, late night, Monday night, an early night, Tuesday night, another late night, Wednesday and Thursday, and they vary a lot. It's very hard for our circadian rhythm, which is our in-out body clock, to understand what's going on. So it, it really likes it when it's settled. So those two things, sleep quantity and quality, are really important, and they're probably the two most important components of a good sleep. Also that question, I'm interested how this varies between children and adults, no one goes to sleep and sleeps like a log for eight hours, right? Like the, the, you've probably, you're probably exhausted if that's the case. What's normal about wakefulness and the, the, the sensation of being a little bit dreamy and awake as opposed to yeah. out to it? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because I think there's a big myth in the community about the fact that we do, in inverted commas, sleep through the night without waking. We can't possibly do that. Every sleep cycle, which ranges from about 45 minutes all the way through to in a child to 90 minutes in an adult, at the end of each sleep cycle, we do have an REM period, which is a dream period. It's very light sleep, and we always wake up from that. Now, as a young child, we might wake up and actually be alert, maybe call for parent. As an adult, we might have what we call a micro-arousal, or we might actually wake up, go to the loo, have a drink. But we can't possibly sleep through the night without actually waking. So some of us are more prone to wake and stay awake, depending on how 
light our sleep is, and we now know that light, if, uh, light if you like, sleep is a genetic predisposition. So some people are lighter sleepers. That is, they'll wake up and stay awake for longer after those REM periods, and some of us don't. So we perceive that we don't wake up, but we in fact do. So it really depends on the person, Catherine, I think. For child or for adult, how can this be something you manage well if you're a light sleeper? As, as you mentioned, I just said, I don't mind waking up as long as I go back to sleep within a yeah. reasonable period of time. When you wake up and you're like, bing, for hours, that becomes stressful. So, so how can you help, as best you can, work with your genetics over how heavily you sleep? That's a good idea. So we have um, behaviours around sleep that will help to promote sleep. Now, we need to have a, a darkish environment. Um, I don't think that in young children, complete darkness is helpful because they can often get fearful of the dark. But a darkish environment so that our body gets the strong cue that it is sleep. Um, and we have to be uh, cool enough or hot enough and all those things. So you, as you mentioned, when it's really hot weather, we have to keep ourselves cool because we have to drop our body temperature by half a degree to be able to get to sleep, which may not seem a lot, but actually half a degree is quite a lot. So the external temperature and external environment is important. But let's also consider the fact that when you wake up and as you say you bing in the middle of the night, it's often because our brain starts working really hard and we have things on our minds um, and we can't kind of switch off. So one of the, the most common therapies, if you like, for that problem is don't try and lie in bed and try and stay asleep and try and get back to sleep because the more you try, the more you're probably going to stress about trying. And that can turn into actually quite a difficult insomnia. So we often suggest perhaps wake up, perhaps don't even try and sleep, take the stress off, lie there, do a bit of reading perhaps, do something that's going to make you sleepy again and then you'll go back to sleep. You will most likely go back to sleep. It might just take a little bit of time. And if that becomes a problem, then you might want to seek some um, some input from a health professional. Most of us will be able to get back to sleep if it's overnight because our natural a human body clock dictates that we must sleep overnight. So we still haven't finished sleeping. Just a question, I guess, of not stressing too much about it. The... Um Let's look at some of the immediate situations people might be facing, and you alluded to it. We're, we're often out of whack with habits at this time of year. We've been on holiday, perhaps, I don't know, playing cards or whatever till the middle of the night, or kids have been allowed to stay up late, mm. and you're trying to get back into that routine, a bit of excitement about going back to school. Um, what are some of the ways of restoring your post-holiday habits well? Okay, so... We know that um, it's easy to drift into a late sleep pattern, later nights, later sleepings in the morning, and that's because our body does have a natural tendency to sleep longer than the 24-hour period. Our our 24-hour clock, if you like, is sometimes, in some people, 24.7 hours, some people, some 24.4 hours. So we have a natural tendency to, to shift forward. So unless we stop that from happening, it will shift forward. So let's just say that we've got uh, someone who's sleeping, going to sleep at 10 o'clock and waking up at 9 o'clock in the morning um, during the holidays. We have to shift the morning wake-up time maybe a quarter of an hour every couple of days so they make sure that they wake up at, let's say, um, quarter to 9, then 8.30, then quarter past 8, then 8 o'clock, and then quarter to 8. Um, and we do the same thing for bedtime so that we are shifting the body clock 
bit by bit. We do that by exposing to strong light in the mornings. Now, I don't know about you in New Zealand, but certainly in Adelaide, we have very strong and hot light um, at the moment. So it's really helpful to help our young people to get their body clocks re, uh, re-timed to the school clock. When we wake up in the morning and we get exposed to light, our innate body clock, which is triggered by melatonin, um, goes back into uh, alert mode when we expose ourselves to light. So if we're alert at quarter to nine, then we might be alert at 8.30, then we'll be alert at quarter to eight, um, quarter past eight, et cetera, et cetera, until such time as we've shifted our body clock slowly back. That, that might seem <clears throat> excuse me, low, uh, slow and laborious, but our body clocks are slow to shift. They can't shift very quickly. If we were, for example, to say, um, day one, you wake up at nine o'clock, and day two, you wake up at seven o'clock. That's fine, but your body clock at night time won't shift that fast, and you'll just be able to wake and lose your sleep. So it's a slow process. Hope it's, that makes sense. Yeah, let's run through the life cycle. You, you, you said before earlier with babies and infants, a huge range in their twenty-four hour sleep needs between nine and fourteen hours, mm. and and how can that break down? By the way, what can be normal? for baby unfortunately might be challenging for the parents but what's the range of sleep patterns that are perfectly normal for a baby and and an infant yeah normal is a very tricky word isn't it because so many babies are different to other babies and i think the vast majority of us would think that a baby would wake up at i don't know six or seven o'clock in the morning and they'd have a nap in the morning about 10 o'clock for a couple of hours and at one o'clock for a couple of hours and they go happy down to seven o'clock Excuse me, <clears throat> but I don't think that that's that's what is the most commonly believed sleep pattern for babies. But it's actually uh, certainly not what I see in my clinic. Um, not the, the most common. What I'm seeing is babies that wake up much earlier than seven o'clock in the morning. Then they will. It depends on how long they can stay awake, and that depends on the age. If they can stay awake for about three hours, they might go down about nine o'clock. If they wake at six, then they might sleep for an hour. They might sleep for two. They, as early babies, as young babies, they're probably going to sleep three naps a day, and that might be one or two hours. As they get older, they'll drop to two naps a day, and it'll be somewhere in the morning and somewhere in the afternoon, and then they'll drop to one nap. So those naps are very individual, and it depends on, one, how long the child can stay awake for, and two, how long they actually nap for, and that depends on their capacity to resettle once they wake up after a sleep cycle. So there's a lot of components in, in children's sleep that are much more tricky than in adult sleep because they can't self-regulate quite as well as we can. Apart from surviving it, is there anything parents can do if they're finding their own sleep being impacted, perhaps because they just can't get a long enough stretch? Mm. It is very tricky because um, in our societies, in both New Zealand and Australia, we don't have the village to take up, to help bring up the child. Um, I think that the best thing to do is to try and go with the baby's um, sleep patterns. And I think as an early baby, um, it's very important that we do allow the baby to sleep um, easily. Sometimes we might fight that as a parent so we don't want to get into bad habits, for example. So if, if the baby sleeps in a sling or sleeps in the pram or sleeps in the car or um, sleeps on the parent, um, that's helpful because that way the parent can also perhaps have a bit of a nap when they are. I think that it's um, very stressful in the, early, in the early months. As the child, after about three months of age, starts to develop a circadian rhythm, the parents can actually regulate that a little bit more to be able to um, 
understand when the child is sleeping because there is a rhythm. We just need to kind of find it. And the way that they can do that is they wake the child at the same time in the morning. So if, for example, for the whole week, a baby might wake up at 6 o'clock, 6.30, quarter to 6, quarter past 6, uh, quarter to 7, somewhere around 6.30 that baby is awake. So the parent might say, I'm going to wake up my baby every morning at 6.30. And I hear you say, are you crazy? Wake up a sleeping baby. But this is the only way to actually regulate the cycle because if we wake up a sleeping baby at 6.30, we know they're going to be sleeping at about 9.30. Therefore, we can kind of calculate. We can put them out at 9.30 and we might be able to get a bit of a nap at 9.30 if we haven't got too much else to do. And then they'll wake up after their sleep period and the same thing will happen for the afternoon nap because we know how long the baby can stay awake for. That sense of control that a parent might be able to have, at least they might be able to understand a little bit better when their baby sleeps and therefore um, how to perhaps catch a cat nap or relax when the baby is going to be asleep. It's when the napping is all over the place that it becomes even more difficult, I think. Toddlers, they will wake at night, you tell us. Sometimes that's because there's dreams and nightmares happening. It's a case of, of settling. They'll probably nap less and less as they reach school age. What are the challenges once children are into the pattern of school age? <clears throat> What's a way to prevent what you might dub poor sleep habits happening? What are some of that you see in your in, in your clinic and some of the ways you can help them, as you say, self-regulate? Mm. Um, it is tricky because as the children get older, they <clears throat> they're more aware of their environment. They're more aware of the fact that they don't want to sleep by themselves half the time. Um, so um, a child um, has, being fearful, uh, not wanting to sleep alone, that starts to emerge at school age. They're also um, very able to come out. They're much more mobile. They're much more able to verbalise how they feel. So I think that we move into, as a school age child, a whole range of other issues that might be deemed psychological, if you like, about how they feel, how they're doing. Um, school will bring a lot, a lot of anxieties perhaps. So we had to kind of deal with that and it's not just a behavioural thing because children only do things because of a reason and there's probably um, something that's going to um, click them over into why they're not sleeping so well. The second thing is that we have to really try and help children to be able to sleep by themselves and be self-sufficient so they'll wake up, they'll need a parent. We try and teach them to be brave, to get their own drink. Um, and to do those kind of things. I think one of the biggest issues that we're all facing as parents and health professionals is the um, advent of social media and, and screen time in the bedroom. We know, and I'm sure that you're aware, of the uh, increase in use of screens. We know that the use of screens prior to bedtime stimulates um, the alertness of our body, if you like, because of the light in that screen, the type of light in that screen, and often because of the content of the screen is really exciting. So we know that those that screen exposure at bedtime is really poor. It's just the same, if you like, as watching television back in my day, I guess, and or reading a really exciting book. If you're excited um, and aroused in the true sense of the word before bedtime, you're less likely to be calm. Yeah. So but, we have to try and get... Yeah, sorry. I was going to say that... The, the difference, of course, with the screens is that they're designed to be hitting all those dopamine um, hotspots. So is it just a case of whether it's a school-age child or a teen, you've just got to be the boss, really, with yeah. with discipline around screens? You do, you do. And it, it is tricky, it's difficult, because often it works really well, that's the hard thing. But I think everything in moderation sounds, sounds exactly like what my grandmother used to say. 
um, because if we can give them a bit of screen time and then get them off the screen to do something other that is calming, you know, younger children particularly, and maybe you know, older children too, want to talk to mum and dad and have a bit of a chat, talk about the day, tell stories, do a bit of listening to music together, cuddling, all that kind of touching, loving stuff can be really, really calming and really good. And, you know, teenagers doing something other than getting, getting on those screens and being excited by that. We know the school structure's all wrong for teenagers. They, they typically need to rise later, don't they? We, we get them up too early. I, I, there's nothing much you can miraculously do about that other than what some schools are, are doing independently. But again, if, yeah. you, if you look at anyone who's struggling sleep-wise, what's your top, top advice? The sleep hygiene, as you mentioned, helping the circadian rhythm dulling the lights in the evening, blackout curtains if you need them. Um, diet's a factor, isn't it, when you, when you eat? What's your top tips for, for someone who says, look, I'm never going to sleep well, and, and you've mentioned genes are a factor. What's mm. the best you can do to get the best you can? Yeah, right. So we've, we've covered, um, the, as an adult you're talking about, um, I guess um, being aware of what you're eating, exactly um, spicy, salty food before bedtime, giving yourself about three hours to digest is a really good thing. Interesting, that doesn't happen in children. They don't need that long to digest before they go to sleep, unfortunately. Um, you know, be careful of caffeine and alcohol and, and even even drugs can, can, any type of drug can disrupt your sleep pattern. Trying to keep that environment correct. Uh, thinking about that you're not only your body needs to be calm, but your mind needs to be calm. So if we have worries and stresses, and don't we all, then we need to kind of work through that and find times in the day when we deal with that. It's interesting because at bedtime, when we're lying in bed trying to sleep, our mind is, in inverted commas, empty, and it has lots of space for all those worries to come flooding in. So it's an important thing, strategy to be able to do that. I think one of the most important things is to, is, is to prioritise sleep. We are very busy. We do all have things to do. But really, if we don't get good sleep, we're not going to get good anything because sleep is the foundation of all health, both physical and mental. And so we should prioritise the fact that um, we need good sleep, in inverted commas. And, I, yeah, I think it's important to understand that we are fairly resilient too. Those of us who have really, really, really poor sleep problems need some assistance, but we are pretty resilient to the day-in, day-out kind of day. Just very, very quickly, the listener asking, are sleep supplements a good idea? Are there any that work? Um, there is some evidence to support that they do. There is um, not enough to be promoted in the sleep research community, um, but I think that they may they may help you providing their... Um, they're not going to hurt you and they're not going to interact with other drugs, but they can also make you feel calm. It can also often be a yeah. placebo effect. A placebo, so you, go it. Yes, yes. yes <laughs> if I heard yes, a doctor yes, say yes. once, if only I could bottle the placebo effect. That, wouldn't that be true? <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much, Sarah. I'll let you go and have your nap. Thank you, Sarah Blunden. Thank you very much. <laughs> Director, uh, founder rather, of the Australian Centre for Education and Sleep, also directs the Paediatric Sleep Clinic based in Adelaide. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 